Okay. Just, let's get through this. <laughs> we can do it. Hello, and welcome to Mostly Rational, a podcast in which we answer your questions, make jokes only we think are funny, and offer advice as rationally as we possibly can. We also have a strong tendency to discuss MBTI, so get ready for that, probably. I'm Tawny Sanchez. And I'm Asia Sanchez. And today, we don't have any special guests or gimmicks like we did with the May the 4th episode, which, by the way, we made a Star Wars-themed episode with special guests, episode 8. Check it out. Uh, no gimmicks, no guest hosts, just your two normal hosts and your sometimes less than normal questions. Before we get started, we just wanted to make a quick announcement because we have some very exciting news. You can now listen to this podcast on Spotify. So if you're listening on some other app that you hate, get out of there and go follow us on Spotify. <laughs> last thing, before we get to the questions, we have a correction from the last episode in which Brandon Wong said that Irving Kushner wrote the new solo movie. Well, Brandon was Wong about that. As Lawrence Kasdan, who helped write the screenplay from The Empire Strikes Back and who wrote the full screenplay for Return of the Jedi, as well as Raiders of the Lost Ark, was actually the one who wrote the new solo movie. And this correction was sent in by none other than Brandon Wong. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> so, should we get right into it? Yeah. Here we go. All right. All right, our first question comes from Aston, and he's been waiting to ask this one for a long time. I waited too long. We had to take a break because of the Star Wars thing, and then we just didn't really have time to record this month. It's Sorry, Aston, here we go. <clears throat> We're finally ready to get around to your very important question. Who would win? A hundred centaurs or a hundred soldiers on horses? Tawny, take it away. I want to say a hundred centaurs. Um, reasons. Because they don't have to worry about falling off their horse. They are their horse. <laughs> right. I can understand the argument that the centaurs would be better because they are, like, one with the horse part of their body and have full control. However. Why do I feel like you did some kind of research or, like... Like, a lot of premeditating... I didn't. I just thought of this the second I saw the question. One centaur gets one arrow in the heart, it's gonzo, okay? You kill the horse, soldier's still going. You kill the soldier, someone else can take that horse. Like, it's two bodies. Two souls. That is a good point, and that's actually why I hesitated for a second there, because I was thinking that about that exact scenario, or the fact that it's Naturally. basically like 200 beings versus 100. However, as we learned recently, horses are naturally very timid animals and scared of things, so I feel like if they're not being directed by the soldier on them, then they are just going to run away. Okay counterpoint how do we know how much of those horse brain genetics get mixed in with the human brain genetics is it fully human on top and fully horse on bottom i feel like there's probably some overlap and maybe that human part of the centaur also gets a little spooked just like horses do and then does that mean the centaur has to wear blinders like a horse going into battle i don't think so I feel like there are too, un too many unknown factors here for us to give a solid answer to this question, but... I think we've covered the the options pretty well. Yes, present us with some more scientific information, and then we will be <laughs> able to fully cover this question for you. I still... I don't know. Whatever. We need more centaur research. Yeah. I assume. <laughs> How to read more fantasy books or something. <laughs> Alright, second question, also from Aston. Do grocery stores only hire good-looking people? No. 
Connie works at a grocery store. (laughs) I was going to say, as someone that's worked at a grocery store, no, because they hired me. I had to hurry and beat your (laughs) self-deprecation. Thank you. That's so kind of you. But to those of you who think Tawny's good-looking, um, uh, (laughs) a more realistic answer to this question is still no. Yeah. I mean, Aston, I don't know what grocery store you're going to, but... You should tell us what one it is. Yeah, let me know. (laughs) Send that email. Wink, wink. Hint, hint. All right. Third question, also by Aston. If you could take over the social media of anybody for a day, who would it be? They don't have to actually be someone who uses social media, nor do they have to be alive. A hundred percent. No doubt. Tawny Sanchez. (laughs) I would take over your social media, and I would make you famous. And you would hate me forever, but you're welcome. No. No, 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 no. I actually don't know. I feel like this is something I would have to think about. I'd have to mull this over. I wouldn't want to take over Asia's social media. No one needs to. It's perfect. (laughs) No one would know what to do with it. Uh, if I'm taking over their social media, does that mean, like, I'm still me? Or do I get to be them on their social media for a day? You're you, but they have no control over what you say or do. Huh. Interesting. And everyone thinks you're that. So whose life would I want to ruin? Hey, I was going to make your life better. No, you're. I don't want to be famous, especially on social media, or just no format. I don't... You just I say don't that as I'm on a podcast about. that's, like, on several different I would public platforms. I would is what I would do. I would get all your music out there. Yeah, see, I wouldn't want that because I'm very picky about what the world sees. I know. That's why I have to fix you. No. I don't need to be fixed. I will try to fix you. Stop cold playing at me. No. <laughs> I really don't know. Uh... Curies. No. Why would, of all the people in the world, even if they're not on social media, why would I choose a sibling? Why would you choose a sibling? Like, even if you have good intentions, I'm disappointed in your choice here. Um, alright. Who do we wish we had selfies of the most? Selfie? Why does that matter? Like, maybe King David. Really want to know what he looked like? Ruddy and handsome? Yeah. <laughs> How ruddy? How handsome? <laughs> but if we're taking over his social media, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's posted selfies. I'm saying maybe I'm expanding the power that we have. <laughs> <laughs> so we are them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be cool. I'd like to be ruddy and handsome. <laughs> well, you're one of those. <laughs> I'll let you guess which. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely handsome. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, right, let's well, let's just move on, because yeah. I really have no idea. Um, maybe I'll think of something later and bring it up. Yeah. So, uh, I think our last question from Aston. Asia, would you like to read it? Wow, we're blasting through Aston. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded weird. Okay. <laughs> How do you tell a young teen slash preteen to stop texting slash calling so much? Aston, it's called a conjunction and or look into it. Anyway, (laughs) I am currently ghosting them and have them blocked. So any alternatives are welcome. 
I don't understand. It seems like you have the perfect solution. <laughs> yeah, you've already figured it out. Yeah. No, well, I've never been a fan of ghosting or, or no, I've been a fan of ghosting over blocking, I mean. Like, if someone on Instagram posts too many stories, I will mute them, so I don't have to, like, be rude and unfollow them, because they're still, like, a friend in person, but they just post too much, and so I will mute them, so I don't have to see their unnecessary postings. And I feel like that's similar to if someone's trying to communicate too much with you, or they're trying to, like, text you too often, or call you, like, you can just ignore them until they get the hint, but don't block them because then it's really obvious and causes issues. Well, I'm not a fan of young teens and preteens. I was one once, and it was the worst. Yeah. (laughs) I was the worst. You were. I was somehow even worse than I currently am. We were all the worst. Nobody is a good teen preteen. I defy you to show me one good teen or preteen. They don't exist. Yeah. I think, though, that you could use this as a teaching moment, because, I I mean, this may not sound fun, (laughs) but one thing I actually really do like doing with kids and adolescents is trying to give them a clue as to, like, how they can live their best life. (laughs) Mostly that involves... Teaching them what not to do based on the things that I did that I wish somebody had told me to not do. (laughs) Yeah. For example, I remember one time there was this kid who was probably like eight or nine at the time and he was arguing with his mom and he was saying things like, you never do this for me and you always do this. And maybe it's not super my place, but we were kind of close. And so I told him, you know, your mom might take you more seriously if you didn't use words like always and never because you know that's not true, right? Instead, maybe try saying, I feel like right now you're not or something like that. It's sometimes useful to offer advice to kids because they actually will take it seriously a lot of the time. Yeah. And actually appreciate that you cared enough to say something to them on a personal level instead of just completely ignoring them and then they're going to make up their own reasons why that's happening. Yeah. I was going to say something along the same lines. Uh, Like, if you have this younger person who is trying to reach out to you so often, then you should try and take advantage of that and I know it's like you might not have the time constantly and I have been in similar scenarios but you just have to be kind of straightforward and tell them here's the reasons why I can't like respond all of the time and here's the reasons why you might be better off texting or calling people less in general or just understanding that they're not going to always be able to respond to you or Honestly, just don't even want to because most people, or not most people, but some people just don't want to talk that much. If or... this is a young boy especially, now is a great time to teach boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. All the, all the I'm girls in that... his life will appreciate I'm really it. <laughs> hoping it's not a young preteen girl that's trying to call in. Sometimes they need to learn boundaries <laughs> too, but man, those tween boys. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I think that just generally, if you can, be straightforward and give advice in a tactful way. 
Um, takes a village. Takes a village. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so our next question is from Josiah. And he asks, are there any sensors that you know that are very intuitive? Are there any intuitives that are very physical that you know? I knew we were going to talk about MBTI, but you can't even blame us for this. It's the question, so we got to answer. Yep. Josiah, if I recall, is an ESFP, right? Yep. I am certainly not an intuitive who is good <laughs> at physical activities, except skiing. For some reason, skiing is like the one thing I can do, kind of swimming. But I think it depends on the whole type, not just the intuitive versus sensing, even though I know sensors do tend to be a little more athletic. A lot more athletic. <laughs> I think it's just uh, people who have, what is it, extroverted sensing? Mm-hmm. Or just or just sensing is one of their higher functions. I don't know if it has to be extroverted. Seems like it would be. But I do know an intuitive person, someone who's NI dominant, who is very physical and sporty and good at it. So, I don't, I don't know. You might be an exception to that Do you know any slash N- stereotype. <laughs> any N-E dominant? <laughs> N-E dominant. Uh, ENTPs are any, right? Yeah. I know some N- ENTPs can be athletic. Why? What's, that's not fair. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say this, but I seriously feel like it's just more likely to be guys. Oh. So... Because the ENTP females that I know <laughs> are <somewhere>. not. <laughs> I, yeah, you may be right. Some of it may be, like, what you've been socially pressured to do growing up also. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't under a ton of social pressure to become an athlete growing up. I had my moments where, like, I mean, I really enjoyed playing basketball in grade school, but... I was always picked last. I'm basically your classic INTP. Like, literally always dead last <laughs> of, like, 30 kids. <laughs> I mean, my fourth grade teacher was genuinely worried about me. She thought I was going to die. And I was, I looked like the other kids, but I could not, um, do exercise like the other kids. I eventually, though, you know, they force you to, so I got better at running, and I was a kid, so I was resilient, but it was, it just wasn't something I was good at because it wasn't anything that I preferred to do. I preferred sedentary activities like reading and, and drawing and watching TV, and so I, but however, Tawny was very athletic, uh, as, as a kid, and she's an INTJ, so I was gonna say, like, even though I was always, like, the smallest and I didn't look athletic as a kid um, and I was just, like, a tiny little girl, I wasn't picked last because, like, I was... Pe- the people that knew me knew that I could run fast and that, like, I put a lot of work into whatever, like, activity I was doing. But it's... I was going to say also, I think it might just be, like, you know how someone's physical appearance can affect the way they interact with the outer world? And so you said, like, you used to like to play basketball. And I think that was partially because you were the tallest in your class <laughs> at that point in your life. And the the INFJ that I know that is very active is also extremely tall. And I so oh, I think it's I just kind of about. easy <laughs> for them to be athletic. Um, and then there's the other part of that question. Are there any sensors that you know that are very intuitive? And uh, no. <laughs> There are sensors I know that are very good at pretending to be intuitive. 
but it's not really intuition that's happening. It's they are consciously recognizing patterns versus intuition is more of a subconscious thing. And like you just get a gut feeling like, oh, I just know this, but you don't actually know the pattern necessarily until you get more mature and better at figuring it out later in life. But the sensors I know, are they they can imitate it, but it's not quite the same. I don't think they're necessarily imitating it. I think intuition is happening, but it's not a well-developed trait. So for instance, I was just having this debate with a certain ISTP I know, which first of all, <laughs> ISTP is great at tennis, just naturally. That's just how their brain goes. Um, the ISTP has intuition in their you know, we all have a little bit of intuition. We all have a little bit of sensing. But they use it, but it's it's not well-developed. And so what can... The danger of that with, like, an ISTP in particular is that they can trust their undeveloped intuition too much and leap to conclusions that really don't have a good foundation. I mean, they could be right, but the odds are a little lower than somebody who leads with intuition making an intuitive leap. So your answer would still be no, because he asked if you knew any that are very intuitive. Very intuitive, no. I know some who <clears throat> think they... Who, I know some who use their intuition more than others and maybe have developed their intuition more than others. It's just not... It's still not particularly their strength. Again... Though, that's kind of goes back into the athletic thing. It's not my natural strength, but it's not like it's impossible. Even up into my 20s and now my late 20s, I'm still learning how to do things that maybe people did for fun when they were kids. But I've become a much better swimmer. I've gotten much more coordinated in my 20s which I didn't know that was even possible, but it's just a matter of practice, really, and developing that part of your brain that kind of atrophied because you had no interest in it before. I think I went in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you and Kiri and I just kind of, by osmosis, <laughs> leaked into each other's personalities a well, bit. Well, I just, it's it's hard when you work in a field that doesn't allow you to be athletic and then you just kind of get lazy right and then I worked as a swim teacher and I had to change (laughs) because it required a lot of physical activity and coordination but I don't think I was ever really naturally athletic I when I was a kid I liked activity because I liked playing and I liked running outside but I did develop it I still worked on it you know Mm -hmm. and I even like I viewed it as exercise even when I was playing like I wanted to, like, build up my strength. She was learning physical activity for a purpose, like she learns everything. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm not actually, like, naturally coordinated or super, uh, like you said, an ISTP is just naturally good at tennis because that's the way their brain works. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not me, but I liked tennis, Mm -hmm. and I would, I worked really hard at it, and I would, like, try so hard because I just wanted to be good at it, but it's not, like, a natural thing, and it's the same thing when I did dance um, when I was a teenager. I was bad at it, and, Mm -hmm. but I worked really (laughs) hard, (laughs) and I still didn't get, like, super far or as far as I would have liked, but that was just because of resources. Um, Right, I took ballet 
That was, I mean, before I took ballet, I was literally the least flexible person in my entire school, including the boys when we did the national physical fitness <laughs> tests. That's sad. And then I took ballet for like three months and I could do the splits and I was the most flexible person in our school. So it's not like my body can't do it. It's just that my brain's preferences <laughs> did not lead to that practice. Coordination or inclination to be physical. Right. Whether it comes to sports or other things like just... But I think you would agree, we ended up trying to pursue those things a little bit on our own anyway, because we discovered that we felt better doing them, we liked them, it's just that our natural inclination didn't lead us to doing that. Kiri, on the other hand, our our middle sister who was on episode one, she is she has always been much more naturally athletic. She's an ESFJ, and she's just always been like outgoing and fearless and I think that's changed a little in adulthood because she's had to, like, do real jobs and things. Do you think that that also would apply to her ability? Like, her... She didn't just pick up, like, physical things, like sports and stuff faster, but she also... But, like, music and math yeah, were these natural things that came to her, and she was just more aware of, like, physical space around her. Well, she was always a good argument for that old pseudoscientific... Uh, right brain, left brain argument <laughs> because she was like a hundred percent on the side that was math, music, sports, you know. Um, she was never very great with art or writing, like creative things, but when she did art, it was always just like copying, right? But she, I mean, she could do it. But that. again, it's not like she couldn't do it. She did theater for mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, but just, I mean, she always picked up instruments very easily, although it's not something that she, like, wanted to stick with, uh, after school, um, or put, like, a ton of effort into beyond her natural abilities, basically. Well, I was just talking to my dad about this. My dad's the ISTP, so he was really happy to hear that he's the best naturally at tennis, (laughs) because he really loves beating people at tennis. But I was telling him about, you know, this specific thing about how sports come more naturally to people with extroverted sensing and how I'm basically doomed to never be great at sports. And he was saying, yeah, this is why my sister doesn't like the MBTI test because it puts you in boxes. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm in a box. I feel like I'm understood. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like there, this is some acknowledgement that all brains have advantages and disadvantages And where I have certain advantages in the way my brain works, I have certain disadvantages. And sports is probably one of those. However, it's not going to stop me from playing them or pursuing them because I do enjoy them and I know it's necessary for my my physical and mental health. Yeah, I think a lot of people, and I know we've said it several times on the podcast before, but so many people think that... MBTI is putting you in a box, and it's really not. It's a way of understanding that people do have certain types of brains, you know, and in the way we think, and it's it's just like a way of mapping that out. But obviously, you can have two people excel at the same thing that are completely different personality right. types, um, or you can have two people that are the same personality type excel at completely different things. It's really what. You know, obviously, it's always mixed with culture and Mm -hmm. age and what they're just raised around and what they will enjoy. It's not every personality type is going to be the same, but it does help 
us to understand why someone might seem to have a more natural ability at something. Because I know there's times, I know that we all know someone where we're just like, how are they so good at that when they've never spent time <laughs> learning it? How dare they? <laughs> like, that's not fair. I think that most people have something like that, where they're mm-hmm. just good at something, and somebody else is like, how dare they be good at that? But that shouldn't scare you away from trying something that doesn't come easily to you. I know that's been a problem for me my whole life is that certain things, the only things I engaged in were things that came easily to me because, I don't know, they made me feel smart. People told me I was smart and good at those things and I enjoyed them so I kept doing them. But then as soon as things became harder and I was forced to engage in things I didn't like doing, like talking to people on the phone or keeping things organized (laughs) or, you know, math. You know, I like math, but the problem is that you have to be precise or the answer is wrong. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I know. So, like, even if I understand the concept, I can get it wrong? What? So, learning to study and try harder at things, it's actually a work in progress for me still. I'm definitely trying harder, but that's all just to say, if you have an interest in something that doesn't come easily to you, don't don't back off out of fear. Go ahead and try it. Yes. Brains are remarkably resilient, and you can end up being good at something for a totally different reason than someone else is good at the same thing. Like, most people, for instance, assume that all people who are into theater and entertainment are extroverts. Mm-hmm. But a significant number are actually introverts, and it's for totally different reasons. I think that almost everything that I do or am somewhat good at, like, I would not naturally be good at. It's not a thing. <laughs> I've, I just... I like challenges, and so I pick a thing that is enjoyable to me in theory, and then I make myself like it, and I make myself stick with it and get better at it. And okay, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing is that, like, if you enjoy something, whether you think you have a natural, natural ability with it, just do it. And you'll get better at it. And then people will just think you have the natural ability right. eventually. Well, that's the beauty of being an INTJ is you're so private with your progress that people just assume you're good at something by the time they see it. Yeah. By I, the time you know, I post something, they're like, yeah, people see my progress from day one. I'm like, look at this. I did this. And it's very much an obviously a novice did it. But I'm all proud because I did the thing. <laughs> so I show it off. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we spent a lot of time on that question. Yep. Shall we move on to the next? Hold on, I accidentally was hitting the space bar the entire time. And so... <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> okay, well, I'll read the question. So Grace asks, When is the last time you made a friend and actually became close with them? I'm an INTP female and have had the same three close friends for six years. When I try to make more... I end up wanting to be alone instead and to never try to make new friends again. Everyone seems to be a nuisance in their own way. Caring about people is hard for me unless there's someone I've already invested time in. Therefore, I do not know how to new friend. Seeing as you're both introverted, intuitive thinkers, do you experience something similar when it comes to creating and or maintaining friendships? So, Asia, Mm -hmm. I will let you go first on this one since you are also an INTP female. And I feel like you can definitely relate to this. I was going to let you go first because I was sure I had more to say than you. (laughs) Well, you probably do, but I mean, I relate to this as well. Um, Right. But go ahead. Um, yeah. Did I write this question? (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, this is actually something I've been going through lately and mulling over in my head a lot. It's not anything new, but it just kind of comes up periodically for me as an INTP. I don't make close friends easily. I, I can be cordial with people. We can become acquaintances. I mean, my Facebook and Instagram friend count totally belies how many friends I actually feel like I have because I have many acquaintances. Honestly, most of my acquaintances are people for whom I would drop just about anything and go help if they needed me to. So if that's like what being a friend is, then they're my friends. But I just kind of feel that way about most people. But when it comes to somebody, I feel like texting throughout the day or sharing what's going on in my life or how I'm feeling about something or somebody who might be annoyed if I didn't tell them things, update them about my life. That's what I always considered like a close friend. And those take a while for me to develop. The problem is that I think with a lot of INTPs, they get those friends, and because it's such a rare thing, maybe more rare than for the people around them, they feel extremely close to those people. And I don't know for sure, but it always seems like I feel closer to them than they feel to me. And that can be a source of anxiety and stress when you start to realize that. Um, you know, it can... It can do a number on the old self-esteem <laughs> when you're not, you're afraid even your closest friends don't, aren't that interested in being your friends or maybe they just feel sorry for you or things. And these are all social anxiety issues also. It doesn't necessarily have to do with being an INTP completely, but I've seen this as kind of a common thread with other INTPs. You get so close to these people though, and you can have a great relationship, but you know, people's lives change. And when people's lives change, that can also feel rough for an INTP, which is weird because one of an INTP's strengths is being adaptable and flexible and kind of going with the flow. And also, even with my closest friends, I honestly always feel like I could go months without seeing them and they're still my closest friends. So it's strange that when things really take a turn, it can hurt so much. <laughs> but I can see how it would make you afraid to make new friends. Because you start to get a little apathetic, feeling like, well, even this person that I was, I was closest to above all my other friends, if this can change, then why even bother making more friends? Because it's such an emotional drain. But the thing is, and what I've been thinking about lately is that you don't know who's going to become your closest friend. So you can't rule people out immediately. There are plenty of people I became close to who I never would have thought initially <laughs> were going to be somebody who I would have a deeper connection with. Um, so definitely don't rule people out from the get-go. There are also people who I thought, hey, we get along and then we got a little closer and it just turned out that every time we hung out they were completely draining all of my energy and there was really no mutual benefit to the relationship at least on a closer level and it's just something you have to feel out. I think a key to this is just always making an effort and it is definitely an effort not something that ever comes naturally to me or probably to you to 
think more about them and what they're getting out of the relationship than yourself and what you're getting out of the relationship. That doesn't mean be a total pushover and doormat, because that is also a thing that can happen to INTPs. <laughs> but a protection against becoming a doormat or a pushover is also making sure that you have a wider social circle. If you're completely dependent emotionally on one or two people, then it's not really the healthiest thing, even though it may be more comfortable to have just your few close friends. It's good to have a slightly larger social circle, if only as an emotional cushion in case something goes wrong with one of them. Anyway, those are all the things that have been going on in my head lately, so hopefully you could relate to some of that. <laughs> so I was actually thinking within that whole spiel. <laughs> uh, a lot of it I relate to, and I it's honestly pretty much exactly the same, except the only difference I think is that because Asia has extroverted, or sorry, extroverted feeling versus um, I have introverted feeling, it's like it makes the the feeling part of it and how you relate to other people's feelings as far as relationships and friends uh, a little different. Um, and I pretty much agree with everything that she said. I feel the same way about myself and I do not make close friends very often. I have friends. Mm-hmm. But I have very, very few close friends, but I'm okay with that. And, and acquaintances might have been too weak a word. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's fine because if you have those other friends, even if they're not as close, that's fine because you can still hang out with them. And like you said, you will be less of a doormat because you won't fully rely on your close friends. You'll have, like, other people kind of as backup friends, which is not the best way to put it, but, like, who knows? Later, they might become your better friends. Right. Um, and most friendships don't last forever, you know? So I hate that. And it's, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I hate it, too, or I used to hate it, but I think I've kind of gotten used to it, and I had to distance myself from a lot of people in my past, and just because I knew that they weren't good for me, mentally, mm-hmm. and, um morally. <laughs> so I, I've i had to do that. I had to like to make a conscious decision to distance myself from very close friends. And when I did that, I was kind of, you go through this phase of having no close friends and you feel like you have zero friends. Right. Because the people you really, like people that we consider friends are our closest friends. Right. And everyone else, you know, they're they're people we would still help and, like, want to be around occasionally, but they're not, like, the people that we have this bond with. No, you cannot underestimate that. I mean, like, in the times when I have had to... I felt like it was a breakup. In fact, I probably cried harder and ate more ice cream over friend breakups than <laughs> romantic breakups. <laughs> yeah. And so having to, like, rebuild that bond with someone else, it is a lot of work. But kind of like, you know, kind of like a romantic relationship as well, they're super hard their work but if that person is worth it it's worth it it's like yeah so it's worth it it's worth it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and you you know when it's worth it and I think I've gotten close friends mainly because they for some reason wanted to be my friend and it's not like they just forced (laughs) yeah it is weird they forced themselves into my life they're um I think that's why my closest friends have always been extroverts Mm -hmm. or like um mostly uh, been extroverts and 
or people that just had, like, so much in common with me. It would be stupid if we weren't friends. But <laughs> but then a lot of the time they're extroverts because they're really trying to just make everyone their friend. But then, like, I don't know. They just decide that they're going to really involve themselves in my life. And, you know, it's right. it's good. But I also think that that has given me a little bit of a um, handicap because I can't, I still am really bad at making the people I want to be my close friends my close friends because I'm relying on them to do the work. So it's something that I still definitely can improve on. And so I totally understand this. And also the, especially the caring about people <laughs> being hard because like even oh, with yeah. my closest friends, even with family, there's, I have a hard time caring about their worries because a lot of the times they seem illogical to me. Easily fixable. Yeah, easily <laughs> fixable, illogical, but they don't, and especially if they don't listen to my advice when I give it, mm -hmm. that's extremely frustrating, and so I stop caring. Like, mm -hmm. it does not matter how you relate to me, I just stop caring. So, um, for me, caring that. about people is, it's like that, and also it's difficult sometimes because I very much care if it's clear to me that there's a reason to care. Like, for example, if I'm accidentally mean to somebody, mm -hmm. and then then they do or say something that makes me realize I was accidentally mean to them, my heart is torn in two. Like, I care so much, I can't believe that I hurt somebody <laughs> else. Maybe because, you know, I know how that feels, but I hate hurting other people. So I care. On the other hand... <laughs> It's hard for me to remember to actively care about other people mm -hmm. because I'm so up in my head all the time that I, I won't necessarily remember to stay in touch, for instance. Even if I really genuinely care about you as a person, sometimes I think people will think I don't because I don't call them or whatever, and that's mostly just because I hate talking on the phone, but also, it, I forget who I even know, I forget. I know, sometimes <laughs> I run into people that I'm friends with, and it's like, oh yeah, you exist, I like you. Like, <laughs> please, if you've experienced my lack of facial recognition skills, or- It's bad. Oh, Tawny knows, I'm very bad at this, um, or just- me not contacting you for a while or me forgetting to get back to you when you call me, please do not take it personally. I do it to literally everybody. <laughs> and it's not good. It's There's no excuse. It's just, it's something I'm working on, okay? So please, if you've tried to reach out to me, try again. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to say one last thing regarding her question because she says that when she wants, when she tries to make more, that she ends up wanting to be alone instead. And that, that is just something I so relate to because, like, I am always torn because when I start hanging out with people more often, I get a little more used to it. But then if I have a few days to myself, I don't want to leave those few days. I want to stay by myself. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I should, like, I would like friends, but also I really like this couch and I really like this alone time and this time right. that I have to think. And it's like, I have to rebuild my ability to be around people every time I do that. It's like, it's almost like an addiction of being right. by yourself. It's the same as like coffee. If I have it three days in a row, I'm addicted. 
And if I'm but alone by myself, I'm addicted. Well, you know, okay, so I know some extroverts I alone know by think myself. that because isolating yourself is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Well, <laughs> no, listen, bear with me here. Isolating yourself long term is unhealthy. Full stop. Everybody needs some social interaction. I suppose. I, there are there are some extroverted people, though I know, who think that any isolation of yourself is weird and unhealthy. Obviously, introverts need some of that time to themselves, but when you become too closed off and afraid to then re-enter society, that becomes a problem. And she also says, everyone seems to be a nuisance in their own way. And you know, that's just straight up true. <laughs> everyone is. I'm a huge nuisance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's why I'm always surprised at these people who want to be my close friends, because I'm like, why? I'm ridiculous. <laughs> like, I'm so picky and annoying and just like a crazy kind of person. So... It's always surprising to me. I mean, it's nice. I appreciate them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm always just like, why? And I'm like, I wouldn't want to be my friend. What are you doing? (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, I totally get that. Should we, should we move on? Yeah, I honestly feel like we could answer that same question every single time. I know, we need a whole podcast (laughs) just for that. All right. um, Anonymous asks, how much does birth order play into our personality types? Do you think our birth order would shape the type of person we become? Parentheses. I thought Dr. Kevin Lehman's book, The Birth Order Book, was fascinating. I have not read that book. Neither have I. I meant to look it up in the chat, and I did not. <laughs> I didn't know about this until today. Didn't stop me from having opinions, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think that birth order does play a role um, into the building upon our personality types, but I don't think it will influence our base personality type. Right, I completely agree. Um, I mean, it's the same as, it's, it's environment, it's culture, Mm -hmm. um, and it's birth order. Because if you are an older sibling, you, you just have different responsibilities Mm -hmm. and almost always are the guinea pig of the children. Yes. And <laughs> how true. <laughs> and as a youngest child, you are often like neglected and also given a lot of hand-me-downs whether it's clothes or just like emotions. Youngest children are weirdly <laughs> simultaneously neglected and babied. Yeah, it's kind of well, it's almost like parents want to just They get lazy with the emotional caring and, like, protective part of things with their youngest. Mm -hmm. So it's like, let me just buy you this thing and make you shut up. Yeah, you get a little more spoiled. Yeah. And as much as I don't want to admit that as the youngest child, it's... It's true. true. (laughs) And I've seen it with other families as well. Oh, it makes me feel so good that you've admitted this. (laughs) So I definitely think that it can influence it. And I know people that are the same personality type as myself, and they acts very different towards their siblings because they are older. They're an older sibling. Um, And I also know people that are different personality types, but because they're the youngest, they feel like they relate to me in a lot of ways just from that fact. Right. All that said, I would still argue that birth order has less to do with who you become than genetics and your gender. (laughs) Like, because the way you're raised based on your gender tends to very much affect how you feel you can express your personality. 
Um, I know Tawny and I both have personalities that are more typically found in men. <laughs> and so that has definitely affected uh, our development, I'm sure. From what I've read about birth order, the oldest tends to be the most responsible. <laughs> I was just about to say <laughs> that many people think that I'm older than Asia. And yeah. it's, I'm not like, I, I don't want to say like a totally more responsible person, um, because there's been times where Asia's gotten on me about, like, me just totally neglecting things that I should mm-hmm. be taking care of. But in my general desire to be organized and just more civil, <laughs> in I a think, way, it comes across as me being the older sibling. So I don't <laughs> think that birth order, like, is valid in a lot of ways or what people think birth order will do. Right. Because obviously people will still think and a lot of people thought that Kiri our middle sibling was the oldest when all three of us were together because she's the most outgoing mm-hmm. like why is that a firstborn stereotype it's no. the closest thing i've had to any kind of case study has been myself and my sisters and my cousin and her sisters i guess also my cousins <laughs> my dad has a brother and he also has three daughters we're similar ages So the oldest cousin and I are very different. She's an ENFJ and I'm I'm an INTP. But we have definitely seen how our place in the family (laughs) has affected our personalities in that, like, given us a little bit of an intersection and understanding each other. But it's not what I've read online, you know? (laughs) Anyway, there's really no way to know for sure if it's a coincidence that we are both the oldest and we both tended to have excessive self-consciousness issues and fears of things like roller coasters and anything like that. Like, we very much feared for our lives. I think that probably had something to do with the fact that both of our mothers were overly protective of our lives (laughs) because we were the oldest children. Both of the middle children, while they had very different personalities, they were much more fearless and outgoing. And then the youngest children, first of all, they were both much more physically small than everyone else. I don't know. There's just nothing left over. Do we, like, suck up all the nutrients from you guys? I don't know. I don't know. You guys both tended to be more entrepreneurial Mm. and independent, uh, kind of just doing your own thing. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's as far... That's as much as I know from firsthand experience about birth order. Cool. We have another question from Anonymous. Are you a visual, auditory, or kinesthetic person? And how would this relate to MBTI? I need all of the above to learn anything. But the least important for me is auditory because I'm a terrible listener. So, you can take that away. It's funny. Even when I was younger and I would think... Like, what would I be most willing to lose? A hand, my eyes, my hearing, my sense of smell, my sense... I was always most willing to lose my hearing. Because even though I love music and things, my sight was the most important thing to me. And my hands, even though I've never been that coordinated or anything, were still very important because... Mostly just because of art, drawing. I don't even know how to function if I can't draw. Like, I'm very protective of my right hand for that reason. (laughs) My right hand and my eyes. Which is why I get a little concerned about the fact that my eyes seem to get worse every year. Yeah. I always (laughs) think about that pretty much every day. I'm just like, 
<laughs> Hope I don't lose one of my senses today. Wow, what a calm life you have. <laughs> <laughs> like, every time I drive, I constantly imagine the different car accidents. Oh, I imagine, wow. like... Oh, all the different things, all the limbs I could lose. You should do the opposite of that, like the supplementary version of that, where you're counting your blessings, all the good things that are happening, not all the bad things that didn't happen to happen today. <laughs> so I'm looking at this thing because I needed a quick reminder of, I know I've like learned about this tons, but, and I've always considered myself, I think like a kinesthetic learner, but I was just looking at this about auditory learners and how they often talk to themselves. And I definitely talk to myself since they also may move their lips and read out loud, which I do. And I remember when I was younger, uh, mom telling us not telling me not to do that. Yeah, She's like, that. that's going to slow down your reading. And I was like, I need to slow down my reading though, because I read too fast and it's, I don't absorb as much of it as I should. Like I get the gist, but I should, I need to slow myself down mm -hmm. in order to soak it all in. Um, so I do that purposely. Um, the times that I started reading out loud were very deliberate. And I remember mom telling me the same thing. Like, it's not good to read out loud. I hardly ever did. When I did, I was doing it on purpose because I actually read very slowly. Because I pour over every word and I tend to read them more than once. I was actually trying to speed up my reading by adding another sense into the process so that it would get anchored a little more. It's it's interesting because I was so sure I'm not an auditory learner, but I do talk to myself a lot. Mm -hmm. And when I'm trying to really cement something in there, I will say it out loud. I really enjoy doing voices and things like that and imitating voices. And I like listening to podcasts, but I've noticed... <laughs> It, I don't. The, the environment <laughs> has much. to be right, or I will start thinking about something else. Yeah, I like listening to podcasts when I'm driving, because I am forced to do nothing else. Mm -hmm. um, but I will get distracted. I have to be doing, like, a other auto task, like cleaning or right. driving or something. I can't do it while I'm just either sitting there or trying to do something else I have to think about. But I, I don't know, like, I'm looking at all these and... I remember taking a test for this when I was a kid, and it was very borderline, very balanced. Like, I need all of them, but I think I always leaned a little towards kinesthetic, like... Um, Is that like I, learning by doing? Yeah. Because I think... I don't even understand how that couldn't be true for most people. I don't know. Well, I don't know. But that's why it's such a mix, though, because I also, I know that a lot of the times I learn better or I focus better when I have something to read, but it also helps if someone's reading it out loud along with what I'm reading. Right. Um, and, but it's not like one or the other. It's like I need the combination for the best learning and, but in order, I think it depends what I'm learning, honestly. When I was in school, like in third grade, I remember them testing us on reading comprehension. Mm -hmm. And I would get 100% every time when it when we had to read the paragraph or whatever and then do the comprehension. But when my teacher would read it out loud to us and we couldn't follow along, I would be sitting there <laughs> in my head like, this is me in my head. This is exactly what was going on. <laughs> All right. All right. You remember what happened last time? Listen. Listen, don't forget to listen. Don't forget to listen. Don't think about something else. Don't forget to listen. Oh, no. What did she say? Listen. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. 
<laughs> I had very similar experiences. I don't think it was quite as bad. Um, it was it was more like I would start out listening. I didn't have to re- sit there and remind myself to listen before she started. But it was like I would start to listen and then I would start to fade out. And then I would come back <laughs> and then I'd fade out. And then I'd come back and I, so I could still get like the gist but I would miss details, and then when they tested you on that, they would ask you, like, the random details of what was read, and I was like, I don't remember that part. I remember, like, the main idea of what happened, and that's why I also have to force myself to slow down my reading. It's kind of, like, the same issue coming from, like, different... Directions? Yeah, different directions. Say I'm building something. Right. I can't just watch someone do it and then know what to do. I have to do each step and then, like, myself. And I have... It does help to have, like, written instructions. And then I like to do it myself. And I'm really bad at telling other people what to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I just have to physically do it myself. Right. And also at work, there's a lot of times I work... I telecommute, and so I have to communicate with people online. And it can be very frustrating sometimes... Because I just always want to be able to show people exactly what I'm doing. I don't want to have to try to explain it to them via chatting, which is slower. Sometimes it helps to make a call, so I guess that would be auditory, but it's still hard to, like, grasp people's questions when they're just, like, talking about it. I need to, like, see their screen and see the issue and actually dig into it myself, and that's why I would say more of a kinesthetic. That's like going... I um, am talking to an IT guy, and they're like, can I just take over your computer screen? And I'm like, happily, I will let you do that, because (laughs) I understand it's very hard to just understand what I'm saying via text. However, when people want to convey information to me, it is very in their favor if they decide to text it to me instead of calling me. When I I know some important information is about to get conveyed to me and I see their their name pop up on my phone because they're calling me, I'm like, no, you fool. (laughs) You must send it as a written message. (laughs) I think when people, like, talk to me in person or they call me about something, the difference for you is that you have a hard time paying attention in the first place. I can pay attention, but I immediately forget. Even if they're still talking, I forgot what they said two seconds ago. Because it just doesn't stick with me. I found a workaround for that. I'm thinking about so many other things at the same time. I have to be able to reference something and go back. My workaround, I used to work as an administrative assistant at this seed and plant testing lab. Carrying a notepad? Yeah, I didn't understand anything that my boss was saying. And he had an accent that made things even like harder to listen to. Because I just didn't understand every word he was saying. And he was using all these technical terms that I didn't understand. And plus, I just kept accidentally spacing out while he was talking. And so I started getting in the habit of carrying a notebook everywhere I went. And so when he was talking, even if I spaced out, part of my brain could listen and I would write down everything he was saying to me. I would comprehend nothing. And then I would leave his office and I would read my notes. And then I could figure it out. It's, you know, some... Times our brains are just weird and we have to find a way to hack the system <laughs> because I was not getting anything out of that. I also, right now, currently I work with my dad doing electrical work and he's an ISTP as we've mentioned and it is sometimes difficult communication wise, <laughs> especially when it comes to assembling something because his idea is 
open up the box and assemble it. And I'm like, father, <laughs> this is a different model from any that I've done before. There may be things I don't know yet that <laughs> I should read the instructions and see. So I like to read the instructions while I'm doing it and assemble it. He thinks that's too slow. I disagree because if I mess up, I'll have to undo it and start over. <laughs> so you're kind of... He's a getting, kinesthetic learner. <laughs> I was, well, it's interesting because I've always... I've thought about this before, but I've never really come in, come to any conclusions of conclusions about um, whether the visual, auditory, or kinesthetic learners relate to MBTI types. I think they might, but it seems inconsistent to me, and I haven't done enough research on it. Yeah, I guess after all that know. talking, our conclusion is, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> also from Anonymous. Are people surprised when they find out which MBTI type you are? Oh, boy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think more so with Asia than me. Yeah, I think it's because I have worked my whole life to to figure out how to at least upon the first and second meeting come across as more extroverted than I am. I can't make it last forever. But also, <laughs> I think people have a, a different idea in their heads of what an INTP is, especially since it's mostly guys. They have the guy INTP in their head. What they don't take into account is that, as a female INTP, I have been under significantly more social pressure my whole life to fit into that ESFJ mold, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And just to get through life, you have to kind of compromise and adjust a bit. And having an ESFJ sister and an ENFJ mother, who really wanted me to fit into that mold you know, for my own sake, I've learned things. Those things, extroversion and being outgoing, those things do not come naturally to me, but I can learn how to do them temporarily. Eventually, if I'm expected to do it too long term, it becomes exhausting. Yeah. But I, people who don't know me well will be surprised to find out I'm an INTP. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking that because I said maybe you more so than me, but that's not true because, especially with, like, the extroverted part of the personality, extroverted versus introverted, I have had coworkers be legitimately surprised because I put on a completely different personality for jobs that I've done. And one really awkward experience was I was photographing a wedding and I brought on along a close friend of mine who knows my true personality um, as a second shooter for the wedding. And once I was, like, taking a little break for a second, she was like, this is really weird seeing you like this. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you're not you. Like, you're, you're so bubbly. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> I have just gotten used to it and to, to where you, in certain fields, you have to be a certain personality you, because, you know, when you're a photographer, you have to make people feel comfortable with themselves, especially if you're not shooting a professional model, like, people feel uncomfortable in front of the cameras most of the time, so you have to be like, yeah, this is great, this is super fun, mm -hmm. and... You know, and the same thing when I worked um, in, like, different customer service jobs, I would 
be a completely different person. And then the second I left the job, it's like, phew, back to INTJ. And <laughs> so people I worked with a lot of the time were surprised when they saw like a glimpse of my actual personality um, or what they if they found out I was an introvert because I didn't let them know. I would just like have this totally different persona. But people that I don't work with, even if they don't know me that well, I don't think they're super surprised because I don't really do that because I want people that I see as potential friends to know who, to you really know are. who I am immediately. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I totally get that. I think I used to put on more of a persona for even people that I wanted to be friends with because I felt very insecure about my personality and it became a problem because one thing you'll read about INTPs, which is part of why I knew I was an INTP when I started reading about them, is that they can actually be chameleons. They can adapt to the people they're around, they won't be the top of the group. They won't be, like, the alpha of the group, but they can at least do enough to fit into the group. So I was a member of many social groups <laughs> as a, a teenager, especially, and I was never, like, the alpha except for the theater group. That was where I ruled. But everywhere else, I was, like, bottom tier, but at least I could hang out. The problem was when those two groups would collide... And I was like, uh-oh, it became, it was seriously something in my mind conscious, I don't know how to act now. Do I act like the cool popular kids, or do I act like the mega nerd I act like when I'm with this person? Oh no. <laughs> See, that's why I, that's like the difference, is that I don't, I almost always have like a consistent personality, no matter who I'm around. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think when I was a little younger, it was different, like I tried a little harder to be more, like, typical ESFJ mold type of mm -hmm. person when I was younger, but not not very much. People still knew, like, me. You even had me fooled a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I think that was just me being young and not even knowing myself. Right. Um, I think I'm more consistent now because I don't want to I'm I'm tired. I don't want to bother with re-educating <laughs> yeah, you on my personality. It's exhausting, <laughs> especially if you're, like, an introvert trying to pretend to be extroverted. Mm -hmm. It is so exhausting. And doing it for a short amount of time is, like, it's doable, And you know, when you're working if you have to. But, but then the people you make friends with want to hang out, and then you're like, oh, shoot, this isn't actually a viable relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, and and like also that's why I, that's why I don't think um, a lot of those jobs lasted very long for me. It's because I'm like I can't handle this anymore. I hate this. I know I kept quitting because I customer service, customer service, customer service. I don't know why we kept getting these customer service. It's jobs. all that's out there, dude. Especially for girls, I think. Yeah. Um, I, but I mean, you should have seen me working at the restaurant. People would be like, "Oh, can we change tables and ruin your plans that you've had for hours?" And I'd be like. Of course, big giant grin on my face. No problem. Enjoy your meal, and then turn around and just be stone faced. <laughs> it's hard. It's exhausting. Yeah, I think that we should segue this conversation yes. into the next question. We have two more by this anonymous INTJ. Um, she asks, "I took the test at least three times because I was in denial." about being an INTJ. Some people mistake me as an extrovert because I seem to be outgoing and friendly. Could I be an ambivert? Well, no. I'm, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, because we were already kind of discussing this and how I also 
seem to be outgoing and friendly to a lot of people, or at least outgoing sometimes. But um, it really depends on my environment, like what I'm trying to accomplish, and also whether I've had enough sleep. Right. <laughs> I just this past weekend did not have any sleep, and like it kind of lets my guard down a little bit, which might be a good thing, but I'd, re- I'd gets, prefer to have sleep. She gets legit drunk, you guys. <laughs> She's tired. I get sleep drunk it's very often. It's so crazy. It's... So, <laughs> what I was going to say earlier is that when people meet me, I think the rare occasion when it's not someone I work with, it's someone I'm friends with, but when they have met me, and when I'm in that state of being extremely tired or just like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> deprived of water or something, just, like, not feeling well, or I just get, like, exhausted, I become loopy and, like, more extroverted because, or seemingly extroverted. Um, And so people later, when they see me in a normal state of being, like, a little more cool and collected, they're like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? And I'm like, this is me normal. Um, You saw me not doing well. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually kind of frustrating because... They like you better when you're not well. Yeah. <laughs> it's also sad because it, when if they meet me, I'm not quite as bad as you in that regard. I think I am, in, I am generally more willing to be goofy around people uh, no matter what. But if they meet me and I'm extra goofy and outgoing that day and then I'm not later, I'm afraid that they're, they're going to think I don't like them or it's something that they did that's making me more standoffish. But it's just, that's just how I am most of the time. And when I'm in the mood to have fun, I'm like, yay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but generally I'm pretty, I'm pretty low key. <laughs> yeah. um, I also just wanted to, because we immediately both were just like, no, you cannot be an ambivert. And I think that anyone who, like, (laughs) does a lot of research on MBTI knows that this is true. Um, Obviously, some people can be more balanced, especially once you become more mature of a person or with age, you tend to be able to cope with different situations. Right, like we said before, you can practice these things. Yeah, and, but also, I don't, I'm just going to say, I don't like the fact that being outgoing and friendly is associated with being an extrovert. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, maybe outgoing a little bit more often, but like, friendly. Friendly. Yeah. Tons of friendly introverts. Yeah, you're not necessarily mean (laughs) if you're an introvert. I mean, I totally, I understand what she's saying, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't want anyone to trust that stereotype of someone's outgoing and friendly, they must be an extrovert, and someone who's introverted must be rude and not like people. Also, even though I've heard some almost compelling arguments in favor of ambiverts being a thing, I don't think ambiverts are a thing. Uh I think you are your type, but you have varying levels of development, personal development. And yeah, yeah, that's all there is to it. (laughs) I could go into it a lot, but I'm going to avoid it. I'm just going to say that no, I don't think that you can or you are an ambivert. I don't think that anyone is an ambivert. I think that some people are a little more well balanced, a little more mature. Right. And that's it. <laughs> if you have follow up questions, we'll be happy to answer them next time, but this is going on pretty long. <laughs> yeah. We can talk forever. We have one last question from our anonymous INTJ. 
She says, I was excited about your May the 4th episode. I find it maddening that INTJs are often portrayed as villains. Right? (laughs) Finish the question. In Star Wars, (laughs) I believe that the character identified as an INTJ was the evil emperor. Do you find Queen Amidala's voice annoying? And don't even get me started on Jar Jar. (laughs) Okay, we will not get you started on Jar Jar. I feel like we discussed Jar Jar enough in our episode. (laughs) You shouldn't get anyone started on Jar Jar. Um, I've also heard that the evil emperor was an INTJ. Several people think that. It makes sense to me. I don't necessarily disagree, <laughs> but I just hate that there's so few well-represented INTJs in media. I agree that it is lazy to automatically label the villain as an INTJ, which is why I think some people label Darth Vader as an INTJ when he is clearly not. Yeah, so. so, like, it's not all the villains. He's obviously, what did we decide? INFJ, I think. That's what I am guessing is INFJ. I think it's not that people automatically think that a villain is an INTJ. It's that they automatically think an INTJ is a villain. Mm. A lot of the time. You are kind of a villain. (laughs) I'm not, though. Like, (laughs) anyway, I just wish that there was more um, INTJs with good intentions like, represented in media, or not even just good intentions, but, like, seen in a hero position, you know? It's, it's so rare. In fact, I can't even think of a, a case where that's true. Like, I know I heard of a movie where... That was the case recently where the lead female was an INTJ and mm-hmm. she was like the hero character, maybe, but I haven't seen the movie yet, mm-hmm. so I don't know. But I thought it was pretty funny. I sent Tawny a video that was MBTI Disney characters and it was like all princesses except for the INTJ was Maleficent. <laughs> the only one that was not a Disney princess. There's no, like, uh, I think maybe Elsa is an INTJ. I would, I would think there's an argument for her being an INTJ. She's very private. She puts logic above feelings. She's private because she felt that it was better for everyone. I mean, it's not, but it's not because she wanted to be. When her sister wanted to get married to somebody that she just met, <laughs> she was like, absolutely not, you psycho. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I think she's an INTJ. It's still... That's just, like, a maybe. There's no, like, really obvious ones. Well, it's They're... hard to actually characterize fake characters. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that I also one... heard that Batman is an INTJ. Mm-hmm. It might depend on which Batman you're looking at, but... Man, I don't know. Batman seems... Maybe? Batman seems a little more ENTP-ish to me. But he is pretty private. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Depends on which Batman. So do you find Queen Amidala's voice annoying? No, I find her voice practical. Okay. She needed to disguise her voice a bit. So they're like, let's do a lower voice. The end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the last question is for you, so would you like to read it? Alicia asks, Asia, what voice acting have you done? My husband and I love doing it so much. We've been Scottish in Winco so many times. Well, let me tell you. When I worked at BevMo, we got banned from being Scottish over the intercoms. <laughs> Scottish accents are so very fun. I also once met another um, girl named Asia, and we went all around Pier 39 in San Francisco as British ladies. I remember Kiri and I being... Very much humiliating my cousin. 
uh, Carrie and I imitating uh, is either New Zealand or Australian accents, maybe both, one time around people, and we just were walking around people and letting them think that we were foreigners, and it was really funny how much people, like, turn and look at you, because I especially if you did that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't going to see these people again, and I didn't care, but uh, yeah, it was really funny, but I was... My, I was really afraid that they would ask me or, like, talk to me about about my accent. And I was just like, we just have to keep walking past yeah. these people. <laughs> I used to prepare lies that were not lies. Like, um, like if I was going to do a vaguely British accent and somebody asked me where I'm from, I would say that I'm from, and then I was going to list a town that is technically in Wales, but is also the actual name of the town I'm from. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I had it all prepared. Um, I actually, I'm surprised you did that, because that was something I've only done once or twice, and people acted like that was really weird. <laughs> um, but as far as voice acting, I mean, I just posted a new demo reel on uh, castingcall.club. If you want to check it out, you can find my profile on there if you can manage. It's just deja vu like it is everywhere. I um, still like to try voice acting. I just keep I keep forgetting like mm-hmm. to actually audition for them or like look at them. I also think I would be really picky. I have a bloody nose. Oh yeah, you do. So Asia currently has a tissue up her nose because she got a bloody nose. I got a bloody nose, so we had to stop for a sec. <laughs> she might sound slightly off. Just in case I wasn't nerdy enough for y'all, <laughs> I had to take a bloody nose break. <laughs> Hasn't happened to me since high school. I used to have a bloody nose every day, the same time of day. <laughs> like it was, I was excused from my Spanish class every day. Anyway, so um, you can also, uh, you know, look me up on IMDb. I have an IMDb page. I have two whole credits. (laughs) So basically famous. (laughs) I do all the voices that I can, but I tend to get cast as teenagers for obvious reasons. I sometimes do little kids. Very rarely an old person for some reason. It's just like when I was in high school theater, I was always a ditz or an old person or an old ditz. Yeah. That's, That's how I get typecast for sure. Won an award for that old ditz. Yeah, the old ditz. That was everybody's favorite one. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so that was the last of our questions. So the time has finally come for us to put your minds at ease. I know you're all dying to know the identity of the enigmatic somebody else. But first, a little background for those not in the know. (laughs) A few months ago, I sent out a tweet that said something like, Thanks to Aston for all the questions, but can somebody else send in some questions for a change? And then shortly thereafter, we started receiving questions from a Twitter account called Somebody Else. Uh, Naturally, I assumed this was Aston being an imp. (laughs) You know, as he does. (laughs) However, while he admitted it did sound like something he would do, it was not him. Later still, we had Aston on as a guest host, at which time our famous patron Tyler asked us if we had discovered who somebody else was, and if it was, in fact, Aston, or somebody somebody else. (laughs) Now, if at this point you're thinking to yourself that this should have been a very easy mystery to solve, our sister Kiri would agree with you, because she says that she figured it out while listening to that episode. Anyway, Aston again affirmed that he was not the perp. 
A bit later, I was added to a Discord channel by Tyler where people posted their favorite podcasts and comics and the like. And around that time, I happened to be scrolling through Tawny's Twitter followers for um, no reason, and I saw what? the Somebody Else account. I thought, huh, that avatar looks familiar. And then I thought, no! And I zoomed over to the Discord channel, and there it was. Tyler's avatar. <laughs> it was the same. Uh, you guys, I feel so... I mean, he wasn't even subtle. He used the same avatar. He asked about it as if anyone else would actually care enough to ask. I can't even believe we assume someone else would be that invested, even though that's what I'm currently assuming by relating this story to everybody. <laughs> anyway, um, mystery solved. Yeah, we're smart. We're very smart. Actually, before Asia figured this out, Carrie had texted me asking if we figured it out, and I said I had theories, but not really. Um, and she, she was like, it's obviously Tyler. And I was like, how do you know? She knew because she knew his email from a long time ago, but I couldn't have known that. And I what? can't just make that assumption. Whoa, 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 wait, Tawny. Are you telling me Kiri texted you the answer months ago? Not months ago. Like, uh... Because I only figured this out, like, a week ago. <laughs> it was it was a few weeks ago, I think. Anyway, if you would like to emulate Tyler and his ways, you can always join him in becoming a patron of the Mostly Rational podcast. Ah, uh, yeah, how's that for a segue? <laughs> <laughs> we are currently in the market for a better microphone and recording setup, so your patronage would really help us out, and it would also help your ears out a whole bunch, I'm sure. Yep. Plus, becoming a monthly donor of only $1 or more gets you access to bonus content, including blooper reels, and there will be plenty of bloopers from this episode, let me tell you. <laughs> right now, there is even an entire bonus episode up just for patrons. So to become a patron and get access to all that and more, go to patreon.com slash mostlyrational. You can also support us by rating us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen. And of course, the best and freest way to help us out is by sharing the podcast with your friends. If you'd like your questions answered on the next episode, email us at mostlyrationalpod at gmail.com. We are in the process of building our website, so you will soon be able to send us questions that way. And we'll let you know as soon as that's available. But in the meantime, just send them to mostlyrationalpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mostly Rational and Instagram at Mostly Rational Pod. <laughs> Thanks, Asia, for all of that information. I know it was a lot of information, wasn't it? <laughs> we're a very informative podcast about our own podcast. So we're going to leave you as we answer one last question from Aston. He asks, how many animals has your dad punched? <laughs> so um, the answer is three. Oh, I thought it was four. No, it's three. Oh, it's wow. three. Uh, two of which were dogs, and one of which was a horse. Oh, yeah, he got in a fist fight with that horse. I'm sure someday our dad will be a guest on this podcast, so we'll let him tell you that story, but, you know, just let that mull Sink over in your mind. Yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> just slowly start to hate him for animal cruelty, whatever. <laughs> no, he had a good reason, believe us. <laughs> yeah, that's debatable. Tony, I he's our father. Bye, muchachos. Bye.